This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Shumpert. Tennessee has conquered the road to Omaha, but it only gets more difficult from here. Tennessee baseball is set to head to Omaha, Nebraska to play in the College World Series here on Saturday night, game one against LSU. It's Jack Foster. It's Ryan Shepard. It's the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass baseball podcast, and we're here to preview that game and Tennessee and Omaha. Ryan, how are we doing on this Friday morning? Doing well, doing well. Uh, hectic and all, all that good stuff that comes with travel, but... Uh... Can't complain, and certainly a uh, fun weekend at the very least, and potentially a fun week and a half of baseball ahead in the College World Series. Yeah, just before we get into the nuts and bolts of this upcoming game, man, like Omaha, you've been there. I haven't. You know, what's it like, man? Just the College World Series, of course, Omaha, Nebraska, known for that environment. Just what is that environment like, if you could put it into words? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd say, and you know, I've been there. I've, you know, I saw two Tennessee games and then went to a game the next day, that great Stanford Vanderbilt game in 2021, uh, the Vanderbilt won the ninth inning. But uh, I would say it's, I guess what stands out the most is you go to all these college baseball stadiums all year and even the big ones, the really cool ones, nice ones are like what, 10,000 seats. I mean, this is like a 30,000 plus seat stadium. You know, it's not packed for every game, but it's not empty either. It's not like, those tournaments early in the season when they're playing down at Globe Life in, in Dallas or Minute Maiden in Houston where there's no one in the ballpark. I mean, it's good crowds, and it, it feels kind of in a lot of ways uh, the best of both worlds of, like, a professional baseball atmosphere and a college baseball atmosphere where you still have kind of the rowdiness of the fans. And, and certainly just, like, the last two weeks, uh, you kind of get the high stakes and high intensity that comes with postseason baseball. Yeah, man. I- I know I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, it's it's just what you hear about Omaha, Nebraska, right? It's the College World Series, and it's one of the greatest spectacles in sports, the greatest show on dirt, if you will. So it's going to be a fun week ahead. But as I mentioned, Tennessee baseball playing LSU, a familiar opponent here on Game 1, Saturday night, ESPN 7 Eastern there in Omaha. Ryan, we kind of touched on this on our reaction podcast to Tennessee punching their ticket to Omaha that – you know, you can't really draw a worse opponent for a game one. You know, maybe game two, game three, especially game four, LSU's pretty manageable. But game one, with Paul Skeens on the mound, who is their ace and is the best pitcher in college baseball, doesn't get more brutal than this. No, it really doesn't. And it's an extremely tough task. And obviously, LSU is probably best known for their offense, which is, you know, at least one of the three best offenses in the country. You know, them, Florida, and Wake Forest are all really good on that side, and it's top to bottom. A lot of really good hitters, six or seven power hitters uh, with double-digit home runs. But the most feared man on that team of a bunch of really good players is without a shadow of a doubt, Paul Skeens. And uh, just how good, how dominant he's been this season. LSU's lost just three times with him on the mound. One of those games he threw like seven, seven innings and only gave up one earned run so he's been really really dominant he's been really really consistent and it's going to be a really tough task for Tennessee against him and against LSU and I think it's going to have to start with really good pitching um, but then also taking advantage of your opportunities against Paul Skeens and, and just try and scratch off a couple runs yeah of course we know what LSU's offense is one of the best in the country probably the most talented 
you know, roster uh, lineup up, you know, start to finish, right? It's just full of future big leaguers. But when you have Paul Skeens on the mound, that just takes LSU to a whole other level. Last time out when Tennessee played LSU, Paul Skeens threw seven innings, uh, only gave up five hits, one earned run through 12 strikeouts against 26 total batters. So Tennessee seen Paul Skeens before. What do you think has changed with Tennessee's offense? You know, going from an offensive standpoint before a team standpoint from that game to now. Not a ton, honestly. I mean, you look at they kind of solidified Christian Scott and Hunter Inslee in the outfield spots. I don't think any of that was settled. I think you could probably say the same with Cal Stark at catcher. Um, but I look at that series, I don't think Tennessee's offense was bad by any means. I think it was pretty good. And even against Paul Skeens on uh, Thursday night, I guess. I think that was a Thursday through Saturday series. Yeah, I believe uh, so. It, was, it wasn't like they were fantastic, but they did what I just said. Like, Christian Scott had a big hit up the middle with two outs to drive in a run, scratch off a run against them, uh, find a way to be generally productive. And I think in a large part, Tennessee's offense is pretty similar uh, now to where it was at, against LSU in the regular season. I think you'd probably point to Malayuna being a little bit better. Hunter Inslee and Christian Scott, just the stability those guys have given Tennessee in the outfield. Um, but from a whole, I don't think it's night and day, you know, what Tennessee is offensively now from where they were then. Okay, so moving to more of a team standpoint, I feel like if there's something that has changed with Tennessee is they've become more disciplined. And they weren't very disciplined in that LSU series, making defensive errors, you know, odd things like that, little league mistakes that we saw Tennessee make frequently at the beginning of SEC play. Those have since you know, have been made very less frequently, almost zero, and especially base running errors. So I, I don't can't remember the last time we've had a base running error for Tennessee. So just as how they've changed as a team, I feel like they've become more disciplined. What's your take on that? I would agree with that. I'd say if you're looking at specifically the LSU series and not, you know, around that time, but specifically that series to now, like that's the number one thing that stands out. Uh, they were really, really bad defensively. I mean, they lost – they gave away game one basically with defensive blunders in the eighth inning. They made more defensive mistakes in game two that cost them uh, a base running. I think Dylan, the thing is Hunter Inslee, I guess. I don't remember. You remember if it was Inslee or Dryling? One of those two guys got got picked off first base uh, early in it was game Dryling, two. I believe. Okay. And then the next batter uh, hit a home run. Maybe it was Inslee who hit a home run. Next batter hit a home run. Um, so those were the mistakes that really cost them. Um, you look at that series, it was like, I think we said it at the time, like LSU, yeah, LSU was the better team, but Tennessee was very competitive when it came from a talent standpoint, when it came yeah. to uh, the majority of the series, like Tennessee looked like they belonged on the same field. It wasn't like that next weekend when Tennessee played Florida and it didn't look like Tennessee even belonged on the same field as Florida's those first two games. It didn't have that vibe. Tennessee just, to your point, made really simple mistakes that uh, that really cost them and they've gotten that cleaned up. Like you said, I, I can't really remember the last – uh, at least real costly base running mistake they made. And then defensively, they've been really, really good in the postseason. I think they've made just one error and they've made, you know, a handful of really good plays. Yeah, I, I remember coming away from that LSU series thinking Tennessee could have won this series easily. Just yeah. a couple of slight changes in how the game played out and Tennessee walks away from Baton Rouge, winner of that series. But, you know, that didn't ultimately happen. They get another crack at LSU on Saturday night. Andrew Lindsay. Probably going to start based off of what Tony Vitello said yesterday in his press conference in Omaha. Said didn't really see a reason to change it up. Andrew Lindsay's been so good getting the ball in the first game of anything they do, whether that be a tournament or a series, of course. 
So Andrew Lindsay versus Paul Skeens. Last time was Chase Dolander versus Paul Skeens. I know neither of us are surprised, nor should anybody be, that Lindsay is probably going to start on Saturday night. But I'm, my understanding, maybe you would have done things a little differently. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have. It's not like I think it's some like terrible decision by Vitello. I mean, I, I've i said all week that I would start Chase Dolander in game one, but I bet Tennessee starts Andrew Lindsay, and I get why they would start Andrew Lindsay. He's been really consistent for him. He's been good. The season changed when you put put him in the Friday night or the game one spot. And, you know, in some ways, I think you could say, I don't like the message that that sends to the team. If you weren't to start Andrew Lindsay, you were to start Chase Dolander and kind of be saying, this is the formula that got us here, but we don't think we're good enough to win with that formula. We have to mix it up. So I understand it. I don't think it's a bad decision by any means to keep the pitch Andrew Lindsay, but uh, I guess my thought process on it, the logic I look at it with is that against Paul Skeens, you're almost certainly going to need a fantastic pitching performance to match him or at least be really close to matching him. And Andrew Lindsay's capable of doing that. I don't want to indicate that he's not. He's had a, a handful down the stretch of the season of really good starts. But I think Chase Dolander's ceiling is higher. I think his ability to go toe-to-toe with Paul Skeens is a little bit better. And then I think on the flip side, if you were to lose game one, which again, this is again where Tennessee's not thinking this way. This is a media member. Tennessee's not thinking, oh, what do we need if we lose game one? Because they think they're going to win game one. But if you do lose game one, I like Andrew Lindsay more in uh, a winner go home, or in, I guess not winner go home, but an elim- elimination game. Uh, an elimination game just because kind of the opposite. I feel like his seat or his floor is higher than Chase Dolander's floor. And a bad start for Andrew Lindsay is better than a bad start for Chase Dolander. And I kind of like his steadiness in an, uh, an elimination game like that. So that's kind of how I look at it. Um, again, Vitello didn't say exactly what they were going to do, but to your point, it made it sound like it was going to be Andrew Lindsay, and uh, that's no surprise, and that's been the winning formula for Tennessee, so I certainly get the thought process of why would we mess with that now. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I get you, but it, it is hard to see a path. I mean, it's not necessarily hard, but it's it's a little more difficult to see a path where Tennessee you know, wins the pitching matchup, if you will, where Andrew Lindsay could outlast Paul Skeens, and you know Tennessee could shut down LSU's lineup just as much as Skeens could Tennessee's. I feel like Tennessee's offense is going to have to, you know, bring it so cliche, but they're going to have to put a couple runs on the board because you know LSU's going to get theirs. They're not going to get shut out, I don't think. They're not even going to score just one run. I feel like if Tennessee's going to win this game, they got to score at least three runs, three to five, preferably, if Tennessee's going to win this game. Because I feel like if Andrew Lindsay's on, if you bring Camden Sewell or Seth Halverson out of the pin... You know, you can hold LSU under three runs, but they're going to get a couple. I would agree with that. And uh, I think it's, you know, just as much as trying to scratch off a couple runs on Paul Skeens and also just trying to not let him get super deep in the game and at least get him out after seven innings. And that's it's competitive at bats early on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's making him work and not having eight pitch innings or anything like that. And, uh, Certainly, that's a lot easier said than done against a dude that's closing in. He needs 12 strikeouts for 200 strikeouts on the season, which is unfathomably good. Just yeah, unbelievable. The, 118 to or 118 to 18 strikeout to 188. Excuse me, sorry, I'm dyslexic. 188 to 18 strike walk ratio. That's just insane. I mean, it is, and to give you a kind of a look at that. Andrew Lindsay, who doesn't walk guys, has 18 walks on the season, same number of walks. Chase Dolander, who is a super, super high strikeout guy, 
has 118 strikeouts on the season. So what, what's the math? They're at seven, 70 less strikeouts in the same 70, number yeah. of walks. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> it's pretty unbelievable. So I think it's competitive at bats and then finding a way has success against LSU's bullpen, kind of similar to what they had to do uh, against Caden Grice and Clemson. You hope that you get him from the game earlier than you got Grice, and I think his pitching style makes that more likely uh, than it did with Grice. And then you got to capitalize. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard. I, I think just one thing I would say is with Andrew Lindsay is that he is – he is capable of having a lead outing. I mean, he against South Carolina, oh, went eight, eight and a third innings, didn't give up a run, three hits against Charlotte. Obviously, it's Charlotte's not LSU, but Charlotte in the NCAA tournament, big game. He gives up one run in seven innings. Uh, Vanderbilt, you know, this is an elite elite, but three earned runs in six and two thirds. I mean, any starts to that level would give Tennessee a chance. Doesn't mean the win, but it'll keep Tennessee in the thick of things. Yeah, that South Carolina and Charlotte outing. Tennessee didn't really even need a bullpen. Andrew Lindsay didn't throw a complete game, but you know, he probably could have on both occasions. I know he probably could have against South Carolina, Charlotte maybe not, but yeah, he he was just he shut him down. So there was really no need for a Tennessee bullpen in that game. So my point is we haven't really seen a formula for first out of the bullpen behind Lindsay, like we have Burns behind Dolander, or yeah. we've seen Sewell behind Beam a lot. Halverson got the ball to re- in the restart because of the weather delay. So it was kind of almost a start for Seth Halverson, a pseudo start, which he's been good in those scenarios, and he was good again. Yeah. Who do you expect to see after Lindsey here on Saturday night? I know it's kind of a toss-up here. There's multiple arms that could go that would make sense, but I feel like it's probably going to be Halverson or Sewell. I would agree with that. I think it probably depends on how deep Lindsey gets you in the game. I mean, if he goes seven, eight endings, I think it makes sense to go Sewell just because – then at that point, it's a little more high leverage. Um, you're later in the game, and you're asking less – or you're asking Sewell to, to have to get less outs, which certainly Sewell is as capable as Halverson, but just his ability to be extended with some of that arm soreness, I think, uh, is a little less likely, whereas you you just said it great. Halverson has been in some pseudo-start situations. He's frequently given Tennessee long uh, relief outings. So if Lindsey only gets – five, six innings into the game, I think in that point it would make a lot of sense to go Halverson and a guy that even if Lindsay doesn't get super, super deep, a guy that if he has it on, it's like, all right, he can still get us to the finish line. Yep. Andrew Lindsay's going to have to have his stuff. He had his stuff against Charlotte big time. You know, that ball was just sinking, but didn't really have it last weekend against Southern Miss. So if he can have that, I feel like Andrew Lindsay will be can put it in cruise control, even against this LSU lineup. Dylan Cruz, Trey Morgan, company, Tommy White, you know who's there. Let's touch on LSU's bullpen to round out this scouting report, if you will. They've had some injuries, of course. Uh, Chase Shores, Garrett Edwards out for the season. Their bullpen's not good, to put it quite simply. But they got a couple of left-handed arms of note. So if Tennessee were to get in the bullpen, you want to watch out for Griffin Herring and Riley Cooper. Not necessarily low ERAs, but... And Riley Cooper struggled against Tennessee in Game 3 a little bit, but Griffin Herring was good against Tennessee in that series. Just your thoughts on this LSU bullpen and the fact that they have, you know, at the top of the bullpen, some lefty arms. Yeah, I mean, I think the top of the bullpen, or really the bullpen as a whole, it's not just horrible, but there's just no lockdown guy. No guy that you think of as, all right, this is like a top-end SEC bullpen guy. So, at least with those injuries. Uh, I can't remember which one of those guys was the freshman, but I think it's Ch- I think it was, was short. Okay, I'll was it? Yeah. Uh, well, I thought one... it was Chase Shores, but you uh, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, whichever one that is, you'll you'll help me out here. He was dominant. Yeah, it's Shores. He was a guy. 
yeah, he was a guy that was like, this guy will probably end up being a starter by the end of the year was kind of my thought after watching him. Um, and, and it's not like it's – we say that LSU's deep, bullpen isn't deep just in the ex- extent that nobody is really that great. But it's not like they just have – all right, there's only three guys they can use, and then it's like, oh, gosh, there's nobody else that can get outs for them. So uh, I think you're right. The emphasis is going to be on can they hit the lefties because I imagine that's what LSU will go to. When you don't have a true lockdown guy, you throw the lefty against Tennessee, and I think that kind of puts some pressure or at least some emphasis on, you know, Christian Moore and Griffin Merritt needing to have strong weekends just because those are the guys for Tennessee that have hit lefties, you know, consistently consistently well this season. And I'd add Jared Dickey too, uh, but – and merit and more especially with the power against lefties have been really good at times good transition here to tennessee's lineup we saw it get changed up a little bit in the southern miss series christian moore moved to the cleanup spot griffin merit moved down blake burke still batting in that seven hole zane Denton right there at the six do you foresee that changing at all feels like tony vitell was just kind of go with the hot hand at the cleanup spot with christian moore can interchange more merit i think you want a right-handed bat there but it probably really doesn't matter both of them, we've seen Flash Moore has a higher ceiling probably. Both are power bats. Do you see ten, uh, Tony Vitello changing this lineup at all from what we've recently seen? Probably not on Saturday night just because, I mean, Tennessee's won the last two games with the, that lineup. Uh, but I certainly, you know, kind of to your point, like I wouldn't put it past him tinkering more with it. And, you know, I don't think there's going to be any radical changes at this point. Uh, but when you kind of look at that, like four through seven in the batting order, uh, where you have those two guys you just named and then uh, Burke and Denton. You know, I could see some things getting shifted around depending on matchups, depending on who's hitting well uh, early in the College World Series and just what, what he thinks is the best formula. So I wouldn't rule it out, uh, but at the same time, I'm not expecting anything, you know, radical. We'll put you on the spot a little bit here. We talked about in Southern Miss Series, they batted 204. There wasn't really anybody that stood out, you know, and it was just Kirsten Moore stood out against Clemson. Of course, Zane Denton's had big swings this postseason, but there really, really wasn't a guy that you pointed to like, wow, what a what a super regional he had. So assessing this Tennessee offense right now, who would you say th- the offense revolves around at this moment in time heading into Omaha? Yeah, I think to answer your question, it's going to be less on who it revolves around like right now, but who it needs to revolve around in Omaha. Fair, it's okay. Dickey. It's Jared Dickey. Like, he is – he, to me, is – He's not the most highest ceiling hitter on the team because that's Christian Moore, but he's the guy that can do it with more consistency and do it over a 10-day stretch in the College World Series of being really good for 10 days. And it's the fact that, obviously, he has some power. He's got double-digit home runs on the season, but his best strength is just the way he can spray it around the yard. And when he's on, like, he plays well into – I keep on wanting to call it TD Ameritrade Ballpark. It's Charles Schwab Ballpark or Charles (laughs) Schwab Field now in Omaha. Like, he – his game plays well for that because it's a big ballpark and there's going to be a lot of gaps. There's going to be a lot of space in the outfield to hit the ball. And that's what he does really, really well is just having a consistent approach. And he really, ever since that Kentucky injury, he hasn't been as good as he was in, you know, the five, six week stretch before that doesn't mean he's been horrible. I mean, he had two really big hits for Tennessee last weekend in Hattiesburg, but -hmm. at the same time, those were his only two hits and he's been the guy that can, you know, what he went him up for, he basically got two hits every single game. So uh, I think when you look at Tennessee's offense, and that's, you know, that's the question for Tennessee and Omaha. Like, we know the pitching is really good. Can they find enough offense? And to this point in the NCAA tournament, they've found enough offense largely because of the home run ball. 
it's going to be harder to do that in Omaha. It doesn't mean they can't do it. Uh, and if you're looking at, all right, how do they find more offense? To your point, who can be the guy uh, that kickstarts things as kind of the consistent catalyst? I think it's Jared Dickey just with what he can do as a contact hitter and the fact that we've seen him do it consistently. There you go. Jared Dickey is the answer. So if Tennessee wins against LSU, they'll face the winner of Wake Forest versus Stanford. If they lose against LSU, they'll naturally face the loser of that game. With the way Wake Forest is playing, Stanford's had a rougher road to get to Omaha. They they got out of the loser's bracket in their own regional. Then they lost game one against Texas, won games two and three in exciting fashion. That was a heck of a super regional series. But um, feels like Wake Forest probably going to win that game. I mean, anything can happen, but they're the better baseball team. They're playing much better baseball right now. I feel like we're both picking LSU just because of Paul Skeens on the mound. So when you look at potentially Stanford as the next opponent for Tennessee, I know you probably haven't looked too far ahead, but how do you see this side of the bracket for Tennessee? I know it's tougher than the other side, given you have Wake and LSU, but just your thoughts on this side of the bracket for Tennessee and their potential path to getting, you know, deeper into the tournament. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. It's the tougher side of the bracket. I think you have two of the three best teams uh, in Tennessee side of the bracket and arguably the two worst teams on the other side of the bracket uh, in Oral Roberts. And then, you know, I would honestly probably have TCU, Tennessee and Stanford. Like I think all, Three of those teams are probably pretty similar. Um, so, well, first, you know, when you're looking at Stanford, the big questions, you know, it's a pretty simple one. It's is Quinn Matthews going to throw Game One today? I mean, I guess we'll figure out here. And by the time you're listening, you can probably go look up the a, a box score and figure that out. Um, I say this, that's absolutely Tom Fullery. They don't play until tomorrow. I don't know what <laughs> I'm thinking. It's on Tennessee's side of the bracket, but it does Quinn okay. Matthews throw. I mean, he he threw 156 pitches on. That's insane. Sun- uh, it's unbelievable. On Sunday night, yeah, Sunday night, mm-hmm. trying not to make another uh, blatant mistake on my days. Is he ready to throw on Saturday on six days rest? Is it a question? And it's a huge question because obviously it's a huge question because he's their ace, but it's an even bigger question because much like LSU, Stanford's pitching is a big drop off after him, after their number one guy. And that Stanford lineup is really good. Uh, that Stanford lineup <laughs> combined. Um, with Matthews is what got them to Omaha. So it's not like it's just going to be easy if you're not facing Quinn Matthews. But to me, it's a completely different dynamic if you can face one of the other uh, pitchers in Stanford's uh, rotation who, you know, they're solid. They're not bad, but it's just a, a different ball game for sure. Interesting thing to keep an eye on there with Quinn Matthews. So Stanford's kind of like a little bit of a lesser version than LSU. Yeah, I would say that's fair. At least the this the, you look at the strengths. I mean, they don't have quite. I mean, it's a West Coast team, so it's again they don't have like the power bats uh, of the SEC that LSU does. But when you look at it, good offense, one really good pitcher, drop off after that. There you go. So if Tennessee loses to LSU and Stanford loses to Wake, they play. If Tennessee were to win that game, they play the loser of Wake LSU in an elimination game. And then if Tennessee were to win that game, they'd have to beat. <laughs> the winner of Wake LSU twice, correct, to reach the finals. Yes, and, you know, I thought, I've thought i been thinking about this a little bit this week, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, too. I kind of see this in a way, let's say Tennessee loses the first game, they beat Stanford in the second game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost kind of view it in a similar sense to, like, Tennessee's path to the College World Series, where going to Clemson the first weekend was a much harder regional than Indiana State. Yeah. 
But when you look at it like completely, it was probably a little bit better, an easier path to make it to the College World Series just because if you could get the corresponding out of regional. regional, yeah. Yes, you were going to have an easier super regional opponent than you would have uh, if you, you know, were playing in a 15, 16, 14 seeds regional. I kind of view that the same way because my initial thoughts have been like, all right, if Tennessee does what I just said, they lose to LSU, they beat Stanford. You want Wake Forest to win. You want to beat. You want to face LSU in that next game because that'll be easier. But yeah. the more I've thought about it, like in the short term, that's better. But in the long term, if we're talking about Tennessee winning the College World Series and making it out of their side of the bracket to the final, I think it's kind of the reverse. Sure, it would be harder to beat Wake Forest in that one game. But I think beating LSU twice would be easier just because if you could win that first game against LSU, I think you almost an advantage would probably be a little bit of a stretch. But the playing field is a lot more even against an LSU pitching staff who at that point is probably starting to run out of pitching. And, right. you know, Tennessee, we talked about their pitching depth. It's so good. I don't think they're even in a fifth game are going to be running out of pitching. Sure, it's going to be a little more thin, but I think they're still going to have plenty of quality arms. We're on the reverse side of things. Sure, it might be easier to win that one game against LSU, but I don't think their pitching is going to be collapsed by that point by any means. And then going and having to beat Wake Forest, who has the best pitching staff in the country twice, uh, I think would be a, a really, really challenging task. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. So, yeah, yeah I mean, just to knock off Wake Forest once, it's baseball. One, one game, anything can happen. And then Tennessee would have a much better shot at beating LSU back-to-back, that's for sure. So, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe fall fans should be LSU fans in that yeah. Demon Deacons Tigers game. Because I feel like that's what's going to happen. Let's just jump to our prediction. LSU going to win this game on Saturday night? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I have it out uh, in our you know, kind of how to watch preview piece. I had LSU 4, Tennessee 1. I think it'll be a competitive game. Uh, but, I mean, it's again, it's the numbers I said earlier. LSU is like, I think, 15 and 3 with Paul Skeens pitching this year. Uh, it's just hard for me to imagine. Uh, he doesn't have a really good outing. And again, I, I worry about Tennessee's offense as a whole in Omaha and, you know, they've been so home run dependent. I think that's not a good formula in this ballpark. And can they find a way to scratch off runs uh, against schemes will be a big question. And certainly they're going to need a, a fantastic pitching outing even to be in it. But schemes has been so good. His numbers are so impressive on the season. It's just hard for me to pick against him. What do you think is this is kind of a hard question to phrase, but what do you think is the inning count Skeens has to go? Like if I told you Skeens went five and a third, you pick in Tennessee? That's all that's all you know. That's all the information you have. Yeah, Skeens went five and a third. You pick in Tennessee in that scenario? It feels like a toss up, you know, and I and for the sake of the point, I'll say yes. I'll I'll take Tennessee in that case because I think oh I you know, from what I said to score, I think they'll get a good pitching outing. Um but even then, it's like it's not some definitive win uh, if they do that. I just think uh, that, you know, if you if he only goes five and a third, you're probably getting at least two runs, probably three, three or four runs. And I think that that sets you up well. But, you know, obviously, LSU's offense is more than capable of scoring five or six runs, even against against good pitching. Yeah, that's fair. But if uh, turn that question and said skeins through seven or more. That's almost a given that LSU's probably going to coast. Yeah, I mean that's when it gets to because to me that feels like the most likely. You know, seven yeah. innings, seven or seven and change of one run baseball. 
that's where you talk about Tennessee needs somebody that can be elite to match them and, and go deep into the game, seven innings themselves, and, and only give up a run or two. Well, there you have it. Ryan, who's your pick to win the College World Series? Let's talk big I'm picture. Thinking, here. Yeah, I'm thinking Florida. Uh, I've, kinda, I've been higher on them than LSU really all season. Um, and it's kind of just – I kind of just play them with the numbers game here. I think Florida's got a much easier side of the bracket than – uh, LSU and Wake, who would be my other two, or to me, the other two best teams in this field. Um, so just the fact that I like Florida's pitching more than I like LSU's pitching. And uh, I think Florida's offense is every bit as good as LSU's offense, and they have a little bit of an easier path. So uh, I'll, I'll take Florida to win it. Would make the fourth straight uh, SEC NCAA Baseball National Championship winner. Yeah. Who do you got? I don't know. I got <laughs> I. I mean, yeah, Florida's good. I, I don't think LSU can make it with their pitching, but Wake Forest just looks so good. I think they could break the one seed curse. Yeah, I mean, they dude, feel... they just battered Alabama. Like they they battered their regional, and I'm like, yeah, maybe they just had an easy regional, and then they smoked Alabama, who's been good. So, yeah, I think the question with Wake Forest is just the home run deal and the conversation that's been around Tennessee the last few years of like, yeah, just they the fact hit they hit so many home so runs. runs, yeah. And they play in a really small park, a park even smaller than Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Uh, but the flip, you know, the flip side of that is they have the best team ERA in the country by, I believe, over a run. And they play that they play in a small ballpark, you know. Yeah. So it's right. uh, a really good team. I don't mean to discount them. I, I just think that's kind of the question mark for them. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they they check the boxes and answer those questions and and find themselves dogpiling here in about ten days. Tennessee LSU, Saturday night, 7 Eastern on ESPN. Follow along with Rocky Top Insiders coverage all game long at Rocky Top Insider, all your social platforms. Also, we'll have our live update thread on the website at rockytopinsider.com. Can give Ryan a follow at rshump00. That's S-C-H-U-M-P. Can follow me at Jack Foster Media. Ryan, that's going to wrap it up for this Friday morning podcast. Have anything else to add as we are how many hours away? Let's see. It's uh, 10.36 Eastern to a.m. Eastern time on Friday, so that is um, uh, suck at math. But, Eight and a half plus 24, a little under 33 hours. There you go. Perfect. That's why I'm in math class. Dude, I'm taking a summer math class right now, by the way. I have, an exam on, I have an exam on Tuesday night, so if there's a baseball game on Tuesday night, I'm the class is just out of luck because Jack Foster is not taking that exam. He's going to have to make it up. But well, yeah, that's I guess Tennessee. I, mean, I don't know how that would work if they lose win. I think they would play on Tuesday. I don't know whether they would be in the early session or the late session. I would think the late session just by the fact that they're day two. So it, it may be uh, it may be out of luck situation. But that's me without looking at the bracket. Yeah, it's brutal, man. Got to take the summer math to graduate in December. But price you got to pay. Anyway, any final thoughts here before we close it out? No, I mean, I not even really a, a final thought. It's just, you know, writing the preview that how to watch kind of uh, stats piece today. I was going through the section of the this, this story where I, you know, list about the five best hitters for Tennessee's opponent and their numbers. And I was looking at Dylan Cruz and I was writing, writing his numbers down and Tommy White was under him. And I <laughs> thought, you know, as I was doing that, I thought I saw a nine five RBIs for Tommy White. And I said, oh, that's got to be wrong. I got to be looking at the wrong thing. Plug in Dylan Cruz numbers, come back and look at it a second later. 97 RBIs. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Dropped. 97. Zane Dinton's Tennessee's RBI leader. He has 58. 
<laughs> 97. Dylan Cruz, who's widely considered the best offensive player in baseball, has 64. Or the best uh, best bat in college baseball is 64. So, just, well, I mean, just unbelievable. He's also assisted by freaking Dylan Cruz and Trey Morgan and uh, Dugas yeah. hitting in front of him. They've reached base all the time. So, it's like, it is a little and, easier for him. Yes, and he does have that thing that I kind of think Trey Lipscomb got knocked on last year in some of the SEC voting where it's like, when you have all those dudes in front of you and good dudes behind you, like you get the benefit. Like you're people can't pitch around you. Like you, they have to go at you. They have no other option just because it doesn't get any easier. And that obviously helps them see uh, a lot more good pitches and, and fastballs and all that good stuff. Well, Trey Lipscomb had what many called an absurd number of RBIs for a majority of last season. He ended the season with 84. So that puts yeah. it into perspective even that further. That does put it in perspective. Anyway, it's going to eclipse 100. Is assuming so here in Omaha, man. Dylan Cruz to 1.3 OPS, 4.33 batting average. Dude's insane, man. God, this lineup just murders row. If they're pitching, like that's what I'm saying, man. If they're pitching, can just get it together. They they can win it all. Uh, they were the consensus number one team in the preseason for a reason. So I wouldn't be surprised if they won it all either. An underseeded no. five. I I feel like five seed was fitting for how they closed out the season, but man, they're better. They're more talented, I'm trying to say, than the fifth team in the country, you know? So that's what makes yeah. Tennessee side of the bracket so much harder. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's at worst the second most talented team in the country. LSU going to win the Jell Shot Challenge, I take it? I saw where they were already like cleaning house on the whiteboard. So, yeah, I mean, it's probably a little bit dependent on the making a deep run. Um, I don't know, man. LSU fans crazy. They just stay there the whole time. Yeah, maybe they will. I think it probably depends on who does make like if Wake if Wake Forest and Virginia make it to the final, LSU probably can hold them off because I don't think Wake and Virginia are gonna have enough. But if if Tennessee, if Florida make it to the final and LSU goes home early, I think that would probably give enough time for, for those teams to catch them. But yeah, they're they're the odds on favorite for sure. You're not getting good <laughs> odds in, in Vegas betting on LSU to win the Jello Shot Challenge. <laughs> no, things are just differently in the SEC, man. No, they Buddies. are We've rambled long enough. That'll do it for this Friday morning edition of the RTI Press Pass. As I said, be sure and hit us up on all our socials. we got a new pancakes and bacon out. we got new stuff coming at you every which way. For Ryan, I'm Jack, and we'll see you guys in Omaha.